that our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, you said that you would lead us into all truth, and so we're going to follow you tonight in a journey into your truth for our life, because we know that's going to be for our benefit. Right now, we just want to thank you for the gift of your word, and we just want to submit ourselves to it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Go ahead. Take your seats. My word, it is so great uh, to be here at City Point Recliff uh, with, I believe, some of the nation's greatest pastors, Pastor Sam, Pastor Carolina. I, I could not tell you how much I love these guys and just the impact that their life and their leadership has had on mine and my wife's uh, life and family. Um, I first met Pastor Sam and Carolina in 2006, well over a decade ago now, uh, when I was an extremely boring youth pastor in Beanley around the world's worst youth group, because uh, I basically just sat them down, taught them the Bible, and later was like, this sucks. And I'm like, <laughs> and, uh, but eventually, you know, Sam just, he, he saw something in me, and uh, he believed in me, and uh, he was the one who really encouraged me to pursue ministry and to go to Bible college, which I did. And, uh, and the rest is history. I came and, and had the honor of serving them here at City Point Reckley for many years. And it was, uh, it was so great to sit under their instruction and their leadership. And I would not be where I am in ministry if it wasn't for their leadership. You guys have some of Australia's greatest church leaders with you every single week. And uh, if you're not aware of that, I want to let you know. Uh, and if I wasn't at, at my church, I'd be at theirs. Uh, because they are just some of the world's greatest leaders. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here, uh, you know, uh, talking about the Bible. It's, it's my favorite thing. My favorite, one of the greatest lessons Pastor Sam ever taught me, I, I tried to be a preacher, and uh, it just wasn't working out. And uh, he said, you know what, you're a teacher, just teach. And uh, he gave me that freedom and liberty just to pursue and just to open up the Scripture and just teach people uh, what the Word of God has to say. And I have that privilege tonight to do it. Hopefully we'll have some laughs along the way. Uh, but uh, I, I generally am a bit of a nerd. Um, I, I actually, I'm, they are much cooler guys than me. <laughs> That's just a fact. And um, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian pastor, obviously, uh, and I teach Bible prophecy. That's pretty nerdy. Um, you know, and we homeschool, you know, so I thought I'd go for the trifecta, you know, pastor, <laughs> homeschool, prophecy. Uh, and uh, we thought, well, why not, let's put some cream on top, and we bought a Tarago. Um, <laughs> Coolness is not, you know, something I roll in a lot, um, and, uh, but it's, you know, but something that I, I've learned to live courageously and boldly in, uh, and, uh, you know, actually, uh, I have shared this before, that you know, I, I'm quite a nerd, but, um, but I actually got a nickname at this church, Gangster J. <laughs> That's a nickname I got from this church, uh, and I've owned it ever since. It was like, it's the only accusation of anything cool that's ever come my way. <laughs> Um, and so I, I gangster Jay because, because essentially that, that is probably the only hardcore part of my life is when I get into the Word of God. Um, and, and what I hope for tonight is that by the end of this message, you too will have a boldness and a courage about yourself when you realize two things. One, the authority of the Word of God in your life. And two, uh, what, the, what power it brings to your world, your existence, and, and everything that you uh, call yourself to walk out in this thing we call the Christian life, when you operate with the assumption that this actually is the unfailing, infallible Word of God for your life. When we submit our lives to God's Word and say, you know what, I'm actually going to live What's written in these pages doesn't matter if you're just a tall, skinny, white dude who drives a Tarago. 
you all of a sudden become gangster and hardcore. And you become a weapon in the hands of God against the kingdom of darkness. And you will unmistakably influence your world for good and for God if you live your life in submission to His Word. You know, I often wonder, what, what, would, what would happen if some of the Bible characters today, uh, some of the Bible characters uh, in the pages of Scripture were to live with some of the Christian philosophy that gets chucked around today? Like, for instance, the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she was sick. Twelve years she had this, this issue, this sickness, this disease, this attack on her body. Not just a couple of months, not just a couple of years, over a decade living with an issue. And maybe if she lived in today's Christian culture, maybe she would have had the temptation and the propensity to say, well, you know what, maybe it's just not God's will for me to be healed. Yeah, maybe God heals some people, but not me. Maybe God's got something else for me planned. Maybe I can serve Him better if I actually live with this issue. But that wasn't her attitude. Even after 12 years and spending all the money that she had, she grabbed on to a verse in Isaiah and went to the feet of Jesus. And she knew that if she reached out and touched the hem of his garment, Scripture said, the Word of God said, the authority of her life said that she would be healed and she acted on it. Peter saw Jesus walking on water. And he's like, Jesus, if it's you, beckon me. I'm going to come out and walk on water with you. The Word of God himself was walking on water. And Peter was like, good enough for the Word of God? Good enough for me. I'm coming out. I imagine if that happened today, the disciples in the boat with Peter might have been like, Peter, whoa, whoa, bro, come on, calm down, man. That's a metaphor. That's not literally happening. That's just an allegory. To show you that you need to walk on top of your circumstance as you journey towards the gates of Mordor. That's not literal, bro. You're not like meant to actually walk on the water. Come on, it's just a historical document. You're not meant to take it seriously. I wonder, like, when, when, the, when the feeding of the 5,000 and the disciples, when they were like, okay, uh, Jesus, there's a lot of people here, we're going to send them home. And Jesus is like, you, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, well, how do we feed 5,000 people? And all of a sudden, not only did God just meet their needs, but there were 12 baskets of abundance left over. Not not just the needs were met, but 12 baskets of abundance were left over. I wonder if, you know, if that happened today, you know, the Christians that would say, well, you know what, Jesus wasn't actually prosperous. Jesus wasn't into this prosperity, you know, blessing, you know, thing. You know, it's just you've got to meet your need and that's it. You know, the, the 12 baskets left over, that was, you know, because there were just obviously people out the back that they hadn't fed yet, you know. Uh, you know, uh, it's not actually meant to be an abundance in your life. It's only meant to, meant to be just enough. We serve the God of just... No, no, we serve the God of more than enough. He's the one who actually teaches us how to profit and leads us in the way in which we should go. That the blessing of the Lord makes us rich and He adds no sorrow with it. That He's actually made all grace abound towards me, that we always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's the Word of God. And when you actually submit your life to that and you actually say, you know what, my circumstance says I don't have an abundance for every good work, but the Word of God actually says that there should be an abundance for every good work. So every time I see a need in my community, there should be an abundance for me to go do a good work in that need. There actually should be an ability for me to actually make sure that I can go and impact 
their world for good and for God because I see a need and all grace has been supplied to me so I should actually meet that need. Meanwhile, we're treating it like a fable and most of us are struggling to pay our electricity bill and struggling to keep the credit cards down. Oh, that just got real. Because this is what we have a propensity to do. Often when there's a disparity between the life that God has called for us and the level of existence that we have, instead of actually trying to get our reality up to meet the standard of the Word of God, we actually find it a lot easier just to intellectually explain away the authority of the Word of God and the power of the Scripture so it comes down to our comfort level. And now we can theologically explain why God's Word isn't powerful and alive, but I turn to the book of Ephesians and it essentially tells me that I should be the evidence that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus wanted to demonstrate not only in the eternal ages of the glory to come, but also in this life right now, as I live, as I breathe, as I speak, I am the actual evidence that Jesus is Lord. We should have people looking at us and go, there must be a God. That's actually often what happens when people see me with my wife. They're like, there must be a God. <laughs> that evidence right there. Uh, well, that, that's, that actually should be the impact that we're having on the world around us. But it, it's, it's hard to do what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, you know, walking by faith is simple, but it's not easy. Don't get the two confused. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple. God's Word says it. I believe it. I'm going to shoot for it because that's the standard and the authority that I submit my life to. Does that mean it's easy? No. Because living by faith and submitting yourself to what God said and the standard for the life that He has actually called us to is like rowing a boat upstream because everything in this world is going against us. We're going against the kingdom of darkness. We're going against the kingdoms of this world. We're going against the evidence that lives in front of us and we're trying to live kingdom mindseted and actually make sure that we are actually living in a heavenly mindset, not an earthly mindset. But see, our prayer life is often switched the other way around and often we're praying, God, help me deal with this earth. Help me survive this earth. Help me get through this earth. But Jesus taught us to pray pray, I want you to pray like this, as it is in heaven, so let it be here on earth. So if you're healed in heaven, you're healed here. If you're living in abundance in heaven, you're living in abundance here. If you're victorious and living in the life and the liberty and the light of Jesus Christ in heaven, then that's exactly what the evidence of your life should be here on earth. And so I love this theme, do you even Bible? Because I spent a long time in Christianity not understanding how to walk by faith, live by faith, and actually have the Word of God as the ultimate authority in my life. And to be honest, the fruit and the evidence wasn't great. But then when I actually started taking God's Word seriously and saying, you know what, I don't care what the situation or the circumstance says. I'm only interested in what God's Word says. All of a sudden, my results started coming out different. And Ephesians, once again, Paul actually encourages us. He says, I want you to live in a a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called from darkness into light. You've been called from death into life. And that should be the way that you actually live in this life, not just waiting for the next. To demonstrate this, I want to tell a story about Lazarus. We all know this story really well. Uh, I'm just going to 
point out a few things. Um, spoiler alert, Lazarus dies. I'm not sure if you've read the story or not, uh, but that was a quick, abrupt end to actually the story. He dies, and uh, Jesus is actually talking to his friends. Now, Lazarus was actually a friend of Jesus. He, he, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. We've met them before in Scripture. Mary was the lady who actually opened and broke open the alabaster box and, and anointed Jesus prophetically for his burial. And, and Mary and Martha, they were the ones that were, you know, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was in the kitchen and, you know, Martha was getting all cranky because she was like, you know, um, serving in church all the time. Oops, I mean, um, she was serving in the kitchen all the time while everyone else was enjoying the ministry. And, uh, and Martha got upset by that, and Jesus like, was like, just chill out. Well, th- this is this family. So this family is actually well known to Jesus. And Lazarus was actually, the Bible says Lazarus was a friend of, of Jesus. And in this story, we get one of the most profound theological statements in the whole Bible. And it happens in two words in the shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. And in that, we get such a beautiful perspective and cl- amazing clarity around the deity of Jesus What a profound insight that God himself would actually weep at the suffering of a human being, but also the humanity of Jesus that he would cry himself over the death of his friend. What a beautiful picture and contrast of the deity and humanity of Jesus in just two words. And it's in this story and at this part of the story that we pick up where we're traveling because, see, Lazarus has died, but the disciples still think that Lazarus is just sick. They just think that he's got man flu, you know, which is like pretty much as bad as death. <laughs> but that's what the disciples are like, he's just sick. You know, he's just sick. And, 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 the, and the Bible says that Jesus turned to the disciples and he spoke plainly to them. He said, Lazarus is dead. Like Jesus had to spell it out for the disciples. Lazarus is dead. I wonder if sometimes Jesus has to, once again, speak plainly to the church today, actually explain to us, hey, your neighbor, they're not just sick. They're just not, you know, good people that don't know God. They're not, they're not just, you know, people who live good moral lives that aren't at the moment going to heaven. No, they're not just sick. They're dead. You've got to speak plainly to them. They're separated from God. They're separated from his life. They're separated from his love. And Jesus speaking plainly to him, he says, Lazarus is dead. And so they journey toward Lazarus because they want to bring life back into that situation. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says that, he says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And sometimes we need to remember that as Christians and evangelists and prophets of what Jesus wants to declare in the world today, that our neighbors and our friends and our family, they're not just sick. They're not just bad people that that need to know Jesus. No, they're dead. And they need to come to know the life and the liberty of Jesus Christ. And so they're journeying towards where Lazarus is. And they come and they, they run into Martha And in John chapter 11, verse 14, sorry, beg your pardon, verse 21, uh, we're going to pick up the story here because he runs into into Martha and Martha is saying to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we've all prayed that, haven't we? We've all said that at some point in our Christianity. Lord, if you had been here, 
I wouldn't be in this circumstance. Lord, if you had been here, if you'd answered my prayer, if you were on my agenda, if you just listened to me, God, (laughs) things would have worked out better. We all have you know, being there, that's modern day Christianity and that's okay, like don't, that's not a bad thing, that's just human nature because often it's hard to grapple our minds around the fact that God has a providence over the universe. I mean, we understand the sovereignty of God, so the sovereignty of God means that He controls all things, that He is in complete control of everything, the universe, the stars, the sun, the moon, the planets, the the seasons, our lives, the moments of our lives, the seasons of our lives. God's in complete sovereignty. But we, we struggle sometimes to understand the providence of God. Now, the providence and sovereignty, they're, they're slightly different on this reason because sovereignty is God's in complete control and everything is under His authority, His power, and His rule. The providence of God, though, is that He uses that sovereignty, that power, that authority, and rule to work out goodness and His glory in our lives and in the universe. So everything actually does work out for the good of those who love God and are called to according to His purposes. That's the providence of God. But sometimes we miss that and we're like, God, if you actually had just listened to me, then we wouldn't be in this situation right now. I think that's great humanity on display right there. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. At least you're still walking by faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Sometimes we get to a situation, all we see is death and separation and destruction, but in actual fact, God still sees life in your situation. That's a word for somebody tonight. You're looking at your situation, all you're seeing is death and destruction, but God still sees life. God still sees hope. God still sees an ability for you to get out. Why? Because He is the author of life and He can still speak into your situation. He still has the ability to come and command life into that right now. Martha said to Him, I I know that He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Ah, now we're getting into prophecy. Good. End times. (laughs) Let's get into it. Come on now. Everyone turn to the revelation. I'm only joking. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This here, this here is modern day evangelical Pentecostal Christianity in fine display. Because we have turned salvation into a golden ticket into heaven. In other words, I know I'll rise again in the last day. I know I'll get my healing when I get to heaven. I know that I'll get my provision when I get to heaven. I know I'll get my restoration when I get to heaven. You know, but meanwhile, while I'm journeying towards heaven, the resurrection of the last day, I, I just got to suck it up until I get to heaven. Uh, individual salvation, in other words. In other words, Jesus came and he took all our suffering, our pain, our sickness and disease so that we can experience suffering, pain, sickness and disease on this earth and then eventually get rid of it when we get to heaven. Right. No. Right. Do you even Bible? Right. That is not what salvation is. Salvation is that God radically infiltrates every single moment of your life and every single facet of your being and He totally radically changes it through His love, His grace, His power and His mercy, not because of anything that you did, but because He loves you unconditionally and wants to totally revolutionize your existence on this earth and in the next. As it is in heaven, so let it be here on earth. There is a, there is a literary uh, 
structure in the Bible, Jewish writing, when, when, when Jews would write, they would always put the main point in the middle of the segment, in the paragraph, in the chapter, whatever they really wanted to get across, they'd put right in the middle. When Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, guess what? Smack bang in the absolute middle of the Sermon on the Mount. As it is in heaven, so let it be here on earth. That is central to Jesus' teaching. So stop praying, God, help me survive earth. And start praying, God, I want my earth to look like your heaven. We're falling in line with God's word when that happens. Martha then goes on. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus follows it up with a question. I find Jesus is like my wife. For a couple of reasons. One, she's perfect. Had to take it. Had to take it. Make sure that message gets passed on. But this is actually what I meant. I find Jesus like my wife because Jesus never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to. Yeah, and all the husbands went, "Mm mm-hmm, amen to that. Do you believe this, Martha? Because what he was actually trying to get across to Martha is, I need you to understand this, and I need you to understand this, church, is that resurrection is not an event that happened at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Resurrection is not an event that we're looking forward to in the future. Resurrection is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you have Jesus, you have resurrection. If you have Jesus, you have resurrection in your finances. You have resurrection in your family. You have resurrection in your situation. You have resurrection in your circumstance right now. Because resurrection is not an event, it's a person. And you have the person, Jesus, the resurrection. But Martha goes on. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the God, who is to come into this world. I love how Martha goes. She switches from Christianese into Christian creeds. We love a good statement of faith, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, I I believe that. Yeah, certainly I believe that. Has it become a creed or is it an actual belief that you have? Dallas Willard puts it this way. We have a multitude of professing Christians who who well may be ready to die, but obviously are not ready to live. We have a multitude of professing Christians who may well be ready to die, but obviously are not ready to live. We've got a bunch of professing Christians who, yep, we believe that God uh, rose from the dead. We believe that He's the power of the resurrection. We're really good at Christian creeds, but are we actually ready to actually live that out today to be the evidence that Jesus is Lord and to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? When you get into the pages of Scripture, you realize that this is actually what Jesus came to get into our hearts, not as a promise of tomorrow, but as a reality of today. Jesus gets to the stone and he says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And I love how Jesus points, or this part of the story, I should say, points to the fact that we received salvation, not because we went running to Jesus, but because Jesus came looking for us and removed any barrier that was between us and the Father. Take away the stone. Mary, at this stage, she was like, Jesus, there is a stench in there. He's been dead four days. We got Christians or non-Christians, sorry, we got friends who say that today. Well, like, I, I can't go to church. The building will fall down. No. 
Jesus is not afraid of your stench. You don't have a stench big enough to scare Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've been with. It doesn't matter what your background or your history. There is no stench of your life that Jesus is afraid of. He says, take away the stone. I'm coming in there. Now, this is the part I really love because you could actually get... I always wanted to be a Pentecostal preacher. I told you I'm a teacher, Sam, just, just teach. You're a boring teacher, just do that. But I wish I was like, you know, like, like a really, you know, uh, emotional kind of motivational, you know, T.D. Jakes kind of like, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Because when the Holy Spirit comes down to me like a dove, making me feel like, woo! And he said, a Lazarus, ha! Ha! Lazarus, come out! I can't, I can't pull that off, so. so I won't. But Jesus calls us by name. That while we were still sinners, while we're still dead and in shame and in guilt and broken, Christ stood at the door of our life while we were still living in our stench, And he says, Lazarus, come out. Come out, Lazarus. I want you to come out of your death. Come out of your brokenness. Come out of your desire. I want you to come out of your situation, Lazarus. Come from darkness into light and from death into life. And that's the part of the story we love. That's the epitome. That's the height. That's the epicenter of the story. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. What I want to focus on tonight is the very last part of the story where Lazarus actually comes out. Lazarus is now living again. He's come into life. He's he's now in church. He's now living for Jesus. He's now part of the Christian community. He's now living in Jesus. He's alive in Christ. His identity is Jesus. But there's still a problem and Jesus wants more for Lazarus. Because see, there's a problem. He already may be alive, but see, he's got some grave clothes on him still. He's alive in Christ, but he's still covered in the burial stench that he once was dead in. And some of us have come to life. We've come to know Jesus. We've identified with the Savior. We now are walking in the life and the life and the life and the love and the liberty of Jesus. But, but we still got some grave clothes on, just like Lazarus did. And, and what I love about what Jesus says is He didn't rebuke Lazarus for the grave clothes. Lazarus wasn't in trouble for the grave clothes. He didn't say, "Lazarus, take those grave clothes off. You look silly, bro." No, He didn't speak to Lazarus. He spoke to the grave clothes. He said, loose him. Let him go. I believe God wants to speak to the grave clothes of our life tonight. And if he was going to speak into any grave clothes that are on your life, he wouldn't rebuke you. He wouldn't admonish you. He wouldn't say, you look ridiculous wearing those grave clothes as a Christian. But he'd carry out the work of salvation that he came to pay the ultimate price on the cross for, not just a golden ticket into heaven, but so that you can live as the evidence that Jesus is Lord today. And he would speak to the grave clothes of your life and he would say, loose him and let him go. Loose her and let her go. 
He would speak to the anxiety that's still on your life, that's covering your face, and can't let you see the spiritual insight that Christ paid for you to see with. And He would speak to that anxiety and depression, and He would say, loose Him and let Him go. His hands were still tied. When we've got the work of God to do, we've got to extend the hand of blessing, but often we're still trying to meet our own needs instead of living in the provision of God. And He would speak to the the grave clothes on our hands and He would say, loose him and let him go. See, it also said that His feet were bound. It said His feet were bound. When we're actually meant to be walking in a manner worthy of our calling, but we're still tied up with the grave clothes of our life, but Jesus speaks to our grave clothes, and He says, loose them and let Him go. We're going to release some grave clothes tonight. We're going to take them off. Because that's your inheritance in Christ. Christ already paid for it. The Scripture, the authority of your life, has said that you are to walk in freedom, liberty, that you are meant to walk in complete salvation, that sickness is no longer part of your existence, that poverty is no longer part of your inheritance, that you actually have the full inheritance of the saints of Jesus Christ in your life, and that as it is in heaven, so it is here on earth. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand in the presence of God. I want you to raise your hands to heaven right now. And you know the grave clothes of your life. Holy Spirit knows the grave clothes of your life. This is between you and God right now. He's paid the price. He wants to take the grave clothes off. He wants to make sure that you're no longer living in in anything that is restricting your life from the full inheritance that Jesus has already paid for you. So right now, between you and God, as we sing this song, I just want you to start raising your hearts and your voice to heaven and start actually taking those grave clothes off. Take them off right now. The things that have been holding you back. The memories that have been holding you back. The hurts that have been holding you back. The regrets that have been holding you back. The sickness that's been part of your life. It's not part of your inheritance. Loose him and let him go. Loose her and let her go. Come on, let's start to worship. You've been set free. You've been set free. Come on, let's start to raise heaven. Let's start to declare. Let's start to praise God. You're free. You're free. You're free. In the name of Jesus, I declare right now, freedom and liberty. I speak to every great word in this room right now. And I declare in the name of Jesus, the authority of your word to be loose, to let go in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's worship.
Just while we still have every head bowed, every eye closed, I also want to give an invitation right now for those who might still be in the tomb. You might not have ever actually answered that original call from Jesus for Lazarus to come out where Jesus comes into your life, personally invites you into his kingdom. So right now I want to give you that opportunity because Christ is standing at the door of your life and it doesn't matter what stench is in your life, it doesn't matter your past or your background, the blood of Jesus Christ can totally make you white as snow, perfect and righteous before God himself as you stand as a son. The invitation is to come and to stand before God perfect and innocent as a child of God. If you want to accept that invitation tonight, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to accept that invitation tonight. If that's you right now, see that hand. Awesome. Is there anyone else who wants to accept the invitation to come into the kingdom of God? Praise God. I'm just going to give it one more look across the room. Anyone else want to choose Jesus tonight? Just raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it. God will see it. Awesome. There's another hand. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's an awesome time when Jesus stands at the door of your life and calls you by name. Amen. Come on, let's just pray for those two. Jesus, we just thank you so much for the invitation to come into your kingdom. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that it is you and you alone that actually brings salvation to our life. God, we thank you, Lord, that tonight two more have come into your kingdom to know the power and the life and the liberty of Jesus Christ. And God, right now, we just want to praise you and thank you for two more eternities changed and lives altered in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a big praise up tonight. Thank you, Josh. Let's give Josh a round of applause. That was brilliant.